0: This is Libby. And this is Roberta. Today we're in beautiful West Philadelphia at the Green Line Cafe, and we're drinking coffee with artist John Q. Kim, otherwise known to us as Dave. Dave is having some tea after having bicycled all the way over to West Philly from South Philly. We're very interested in talking with Dave because he did a very interesting performance Recently, where he reenacted the kung fu moves of Keanu Reeves, aka Neo, in The
1: Matrix, Well, the performance was very charming, it was partially a bad identity, but it was also a bad failure. There was no way that this guy, without the benefit of any special effects, was able to uh, mimic kung fu moves, and so uh, there was a certain ludicrous charm to it—a diffidence and this strange built-in failure in it. That's why we want to talk to him and also because he's the new exhibitions coordinator at Flesher Art Memorial, which is well known for its competitive juried exhibitions.
2: My ultimate goal was to steal Keanu Reeves' identity and my first attempt to do it was to recreate his scene in the basement fight scene of The Matrix. It's the first scene that he confronts the agent and tries to fight him he first truly starts to believe that he is the one. So I tried to recreate that scene in real space. Um, And I lost my wallet a year beforehand. A bunch of, they started buying gas, a lot of gas. With my, with my credit cards. Just so someone stole
0: your wallet and used your credit cards?
2: I dropped my wallet on the street okay. and someone picked it up. It's less uh, less sinister than okay. someone someone targeted me. I just started to think about identity, stealing identity and what that meant. And
1: so... So, your performance was um, very pop in its sources. Yeah. And I want, can you talk a little about that or why you chose that?
2: <laughs> um, I've always been interested in celebrity culture. You become this very single person, and how we try to understand celebrities through their careers, through their, the movies they pick, through characters that are written for them, and we understand the, that person as them, but there's a They're disconnect. Not. Um, and Keanu is someone that I was interested in because he's someone that hasn't really done that well. Um, there, there's kind of a split in how we, everyone thinks of Keanu. There's the Hollywood side, which keeps putting him in these you know, mega-million action roles and keeps seeing him as this guy. And there's this whole other culture that cannot stop seeing him as... I'm, I'm not sure, did he play Bill or Ted? One or the other. <laughs> they can't stop Airheads. seeing him as like an airhead surfer dude. And his acting does kind of lend itself to that, but but uh, there's a very split opinion on him, so I was interested in him specifically. I think a lot of people assumed I was making fun of him, but that wasn't the case. Somebody mentioned to me that it was cool that I was stealing Keanu's identity in a night of... Uh, performances mm-hmm. around failure, and that was the first time that that thought had occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think, any- if anything, the more I learned about Keanu, the more I kind of respected him, because he doesn't do the Hollywood party thing, mm-hmm. um, he just wants to be thought of as a regular guy who mm-hmm. plays bass and rides a motorcycle, mm-hmm. um, but but that's also fantastic, because he, he doesn't realize that that'll never be the case, because of who he is and what he does, mm-hmm. or mostly what he does.
1: So... Do you want to hear about
2: the name? Why do you go by Dave some of the time? I go by Dave because that's more comfortable. It, it was my mom renamed me when I was young because it, it was in kindergarten. The first parent-teacher conferences, she would come in and she didn't did speak that much English at the time. She couldn't figure out why they were talking to her about this kid Yong. Mm. She had no idea who Yong was. And then her friends explained to her that they think the J is silent. So it's like, okay, from now on, we're gonna make it easier. You're just, you're just David from now on. Because, you know, my mom uses correct pronunciation and nobody else really does.
0: Say your name how your mom would say it. Jong-kyu. Yeah. Do you yeah. speak Korean? Mm-hmm. Because we, we saw in your resume that you were born in Seoul. Yes. So when did you come over?
2: Um, after my dad was already here, my mom was waiting to come over. Mm-hmm. It's just we waited for the 100-day ceremony. Um, before we came over. It's a ceremony that's very important in Korean culture. It's um, This is simplifying it, but they sit the baby in front of a bunch of items. And what you choose is supposed to determine what you're going to be. Hmm. I know I picked up a pencil, uh, in- indicating that I had some artistic ability or writing ability. My sister picked up the cash. And she she has the biggest <laughs> bank account out of everyone in our family. I think it's true to some extent. So, they just wanted to wait until after that before they're bringing me over. So, it was like, you know, I was technically born in Seoul, but I was okay. raised here.
0: In Philly, or where, where in were you raised? Rough
2: Lansdale. Lansdale. You know, always an outs- hour outside. Yeah, the yeah, city. yeah.
0: Any artists in the family?
2: No. No I, one
0: else picked up that pencil in their 100 day ceremony?
2: Nobody else gets it or tries to get it.
0: <laughs> and how do they like you being an artist? Do
2: they, they want me you? to get a real career. Mm. My mom held on to the dream of me going to Harvard and becoming a doctor um, until the day I got my bachelor's. She thought I would just drop out and get it right. and then, But when that finally happened, she, she suggested, you know, male nurses still make a lot of money. That was her new dream. And she still doesn't quite get it. But.
0: Well, she'll be happy to hear about your new job, I would think. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a big reason why I am kind of taking it. To kind of prove to my family that there is you know, there is a career that you can take yeah. in the arts, I think I'm just in the wrong family. Everyone in my I have three, three or four people in finance, four cousins in law. I mean that because of, because of that background, I'm very appealing to a non-art crowd or making mm-hmm. things accessible in a big way is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate that barrier of like people just kind of looking at things and just being like, oh, I don't get it. I truly believe that art will give back to you what you give to it, you know, the more time you spend with it. I keep trying to convince them, just give it a little time, give it a little thought, don't automatically shut it out.
1: So you started out as a sculptor, or at least that's what you went to school for. Yes. And, um... And now you're doing performance, and I'm wondering: Are you dropping sculpture? Are you? What, what's your trajectory here, <laughs> as you see it?
2: My trajectory. I, I didn't, I didn't get, gain an interest in the. Actually, I didn't know art school existed until I was looking at schools. Wow. I was going. I was going to go to a liberal arts school, and my friend said, "You know, that's not the same thing as drawing." Hmm. as as fine arts and I was like hmm. they have a school for fine arts. Huh. I was blown away. So um I got a portfolio together and I applied and I got into Tyler. That's I, I really got into art around 17
1: hmm.
2: when I was drawing my my teachers kept telling me it, it's obvious you're not very interested in drawing and I was like what are you talking about? This is what artists do. Of course I love to draw, but over time I'm seeing that they're right. And when I was making sculptures, I was I kept i was more interested in how people moved around them uh, hmm. as as agents to create social situations and and to move people rather than like being interested in the object ins- itself and how that comes into being. so
0: Social sculpture, kind yeah. of, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Like I, I was mostly involved in Richard Serra and his mm-hmm. sculptures and how they moved people more yes. so than the history of him throwing the metal. Like, I didn't really care about that, but I liked how they changed the room.
0: Were you looking to your Korean-American culture or Korean culture? No, not, not at definitely all. Definitely <laughs> not. That's not my like, interest.
2: Yeah, to me, I, I mean, if you present to me something that is Korean-American, I'd be naturally more averse to it than attracted to it because it's', it's a community that I've never really fit into. Um, so I've rejected it and they rejected me in, in a small way. I mean I, I'm coming around to it at this point in my life and realizing that it is a part of me that you know, like the 100 day ceremony to me that's just something that happens but, but you guys have never heard of it. So I'm just realizing that you know there are, I, I do have these differences I have to deal with yeah, and it's not, it's not healthy just to shut them out.
1: Yeah. So, um, I guess we want to ask you a little bit about how you see this change in jobs that you're going to be moving into. The director of exhibitions is right. that the right title?
2: Uh, exhibitions coordinator. Oh, exhibitions coordinator. Not coordinator. as cool. Um, I, I, it's something I, I'm going to have to figure out because I've always defined myself in my work as trying to undermine the system. You know, like trying to hmm. expose the structure of the system. Um, maybe take it off kilter in a little way, just just to expose how it works. Nobody's going to mistake me for Sid Vicious. Um, I was always trying to get. I was trying to trying to work by the rules of the system in order to undermine it. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I have to figure out how this job title kind of affects that stance.
0: And okay, so, how about the Fleischer Challenge itself? Is there anything coming down the pike that you can share with us? Yeah,
2: definitely. I, I want, I'm trying to think of it more as, like, like what can we do for the artists? Because, like, you know, I, you, could, you could argue that, you know, we're giving them an exhibition and then they're showing in our space, we're giving them Freedom of Rain and we're giving them a little money to do it. But I'd, I'd like to create more, more opportunities for feedback for the artists. Mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe we'd ask them to create one public program
0: so is it going to stay the basic format where people apply and mm-hmm. get juried in and there will be, is it four exhibits a year? Three exhibits. Three exhibits a year and with three artists in each? Yeah,
2: so I think that format artist. will stay the same. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. And there will still be a stipend for people? Yes. Going to stay the same or is it going to go up? Or down? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll fight to not let it go down. We offered a thousand dollars for one year, Mm -hmm. and then the economy happened and we immediately had to slash that. That was was painful. So what is it now? 500 for every artist.
1: Is there any move in the books to change who who may apply? Are you still thinking of it as being for uh, artists who haven't had much of a chance to get out there?
2: That's a perception that we have to kind of change, because there's nothing in the language of challenge uh, specifically states it's for emerging artists. Mm. and this past year we have two artists that have been very successful. So I think that's more of a perception thing, and we have to I guess I have to figure out <laughs> how we change that. Um, the application only excludes people living outside of Philadelphia by like 50 miles, and mm. people who are in school. Anyone else is allowed to apply.
1: Mm. Artblog Radio is produced in Philadelphia by the artblog.org. Thanks to the Knight Foundation for supporting this project, and thanks to our editor
0: Peter Crimmins for making us sound good, and to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download our podcast from the radio page of the artblog.